And I think uh, it's very clear if you're going to provide a object or something that people uh, need, you have to you have to have a need. So you see that in advertising every day, right? You put it on the TV or the radio and somebody tells you something that you really need. And then you start thinking about it and it's like, boy, the, the reason I need that is kind of sketchy, right? You know? They're trying to sell you something and they make up some what we call straw man. Oh, well, you know, because of this, you need this, this cleaner because, you know, you don't want uh, rats living in your drinks. What? You know, I have that problem? I don't think so. But you got to have the need. Well, Paul shows the need going through everybody is in need of this salvation and makes it very clear. What would, I mean, think about it. If you talk to people that are not in Christ, that don't believe, uh, and try to explain about Jesus, what does that mean to them? You say, oh, Jesus, you know, came and, and he's providing this. And the response may be, I'm a pretty good person, right? I, I don't. I mean, I don't know that I need Jesus that much. And if you don't think that you're in a really bad situation, then it's not that important. Your need for Jesus. Paul makes it very clear. Everybody, all of us, all of them, all the Jews, all the Gentiles, need Jesus very badly. So we start in verse 21. He says. He starts with that phrase, but now, apart from the law. So what's the difference here? What, what is but now? What is the situation now that he's making the contrast between these? Now this, what was then? What is the contrast? Is it? Yes. Well, he would just speak. Is this what I don't know. Okay, so the change is that Christ is now uh, here, has arrived, and has provided this relief from that lost system that everyone was under, the one that condemned everyone. Other thoughts on that? Is that what you were thinking on those, along those lines? But now... Okay, so to look at the next phrase, though. We go right into this. But now, apart from the law... And this is where the words and the definitions, he says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, wait a minute, which is it? Apart from the law or by the law? 
How can you have it both ways? Yes, Carrie? Isn't he talking about the righteousness of God is manifesting? The righteousness of God? And prophets. Okay. But he, you can see Jesus in the law and the prophets. Absolutely. You can see Jesus in the law and the prophets, but he just said, apart from the law. What is it? What's the difference? Well, is there a difference? Yeah. Jesus is apart from the law. His way now is different from the law. Okay. In one sense, it could be apart from the law, Brad. Um, so the way the NIV reads is uh, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So um, the law, you try to be righteous by the law, and really all they do is show you that God is so much holier that you can't even approach him, and only one guy once a year. So if you want righteousness, there will be, like that, you're not getting it. But if you see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, then the law and the prophets have been talking about this moment the whole time. So they've been preaching about it. They've been foreshadowing it. Now it's here. And it is a different, it is apart from the law, but it is also fulfilled and testified by the law. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Bob, and then we'll get over to Lee. Going back to the religion that has been manifested apart from the law, the manifested apart from the law, uh, the Jews had the law as a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. Well, now, Christ has been manifested outside of that law. And so the Jews, I mean, the Gentiles didn't have that law. But they are seeing now the same Christ that the Jews would be. So it's, it came one way and it came another. Okay, so he's manifested outside that law and inside, inside that law. Exactly. Lisa? All right. Other thoughts? <clears throat> All right, so one of the things to think about, though, too, is the way that word law is used. Even in the previous verses that we, we looked at last class, uh, whatever the law says speaks to those that are under the law. Okay, that's the old law. And justified through law. I think there's a sense in which that word can be used in different ways. It does not always mean the law of the Jews, of the Hebrews, the Mosaic law. Sometimes it's law in general. You can't be saved by law, period, of any kind. You can't be saved by the law. And it may be a situation that he's using that a little bit differently here as well. Apart from, you know, the law, and it's manifested by the law and the prophets. What's the, what's the law and the prophets? And do you think, and if you think about it, there's a third, third way that that's sometimes referred to in the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the writings. Um, I forgot now what is it, Matthew 24 or something where Jesus refers to that. And I think he referred to the Psalms. So the, is that Luke 24? Uh, the law, the prophet, uh, and the writing. So there's three different sections or divisions or areas of what would be called the law. Jesus even refers to sometimes the law says these things, and he quotes the Psalms. 
is that is that the law the way you would think of the mosaic law the you know the law of the jews no it's not the same thing but it's, it's referred to with that same word so sometimes it's used in different ways and it may be a little confusing to try to figure that out we do that in english all the time right i mean there's things that we would say and it depends on the context as, as to what it means language I've ever taken, and it's very difficult. So, you have somebody, a foreigner, come in and, and try to figure out, and you hear that when they speak English and it's not their native language, you hear them using those words in the wrong context or the wrong whatever, you know, plurality thing and things like that. So they're, they're trying to use those. So we're looking at this probably in the same way. Well, Paul used the same word, law. What did he mean? So what is the law of the prophets and the writers? What is the law of the prophets referring to or opposed to? I think the law of the prophets and the writers referring to the entirety of the Old Testament. I mean, there's everything back there. Now we have the Mosaic law, which was given to Moses and the children of Israel. And that was a specific thing. But that was not the law of the prophets and the writings. So all of those things would be referred to in, in that section, and it all showed the righteousness you know, of God. It demonstrated that. So what is, what would you say, what, what is the purpose? You mentioned the purpose of the, of the law was a tutor. What's the purpose of the rest of the law? The prophets and writings, let's call it that. What's the purpose of that? Or are you distinguishing between the law of Moses and the whole? Or was all of it a tutor? A couple of things. We have stuff you say and sometimes law can just be general for all of John 10, 34, Jesus says, is it not written in your law? And then quotes from Psalm 82. In 1 Corinthians 14, 21, he says, in the law it is written, and he quotes from Isaiah 28. So I'm saying, sometimes it just encompasses everything in the Old Testament. And sometimes it's more specific to talk about the law that's revealed to the Jews. I think uh, the purpose, as Paul says in Romans 3, 19 and 20, right before this, is that the law, every mouth is closed and all the world becomes accountable to God. Um, the law exposes sin, reveals sin, convicts us of sin, and therefore drives us to Savior. And the relationship of the Galatians 3.24, the law of the schoolmaster, right before this, it emphasizes the law as it shows the law guilty of sin. It drives us to see the need of a Savior, and, and without Him, without Him, we'll be alone. Okay. Yeah. Second Timothy 3.15. 
uh, 16 officers is moved out by the cloud and accountable for teaching, for proof, for person, for training, and righteousness. The man of God will be completely for, for every good work. That's what the the law told Timothy, just in verse 4, that he had been raised on the sacred writings. And then he says all scripture. So the sacred writings, all scripture, is included in that which is able to make us who we ought to be and fully equipped. Very good. Yes. If you turn to Galatians 5 1, it says, Christ is truly says, free and make sure you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law. So Paul is making the point, you know, to the Galatians that Christ is the new law. You don't have to follow the Mosaic law or the Old Testament law to the T anymore. You're not a slave to that law because Christ is setting you free. Right. So I mean sometimes we use that word like that, and I think he's talking about how <clears throat> the Mosaic Law and set free from that. So what I would say, all scriptures inspired by God is profitable. Is that still true? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think bring the prophets a good point because when you have to read the prophets, it's bad news. Right? When a prophet comes, it's okay, the Jews have some good for you. And the way I'm reading this, and I think the Bible gets into this, that this is about how the Jews did not get the job done if they were here. And so God did the job for them by sending the faithfulness, giving them faithfulness, that is, the righteous truth would do the job for them. And if you read this, it makes a lot of sense if it's what the prophets are doing. It says, no one is declared for 20 years. No one is declared righteous before. Okay, so they didn't get it done. Okay, that's, that's pretty clear. It says, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, and I think, I, I've been reading this like it's saying apart from the law, meaning the law has been now completed, which Jesus did. And, and then it makes the point about it's, it's in parentheses, although it was attested by the law and the prophets, again, the prophets make sense to this saying they made a lot of mistakes. And then it says the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus for all who believe, that makes sense because Jesus was faithful. Jesus did the Jews could not do, they were not faithful. And then there's no distinction. Well, there is no distinction now that the law is completed. The line between Jews and Gentiles has been removed. So I think if you read it like that, it does actually make a lot of sense. It's the flow of Right. Right. Okay. Other thoughts? Comments on that? Uh, let me read down through this section again. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So this idea... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are about what? They're about Jesus. I mean, everything that is, that is given in the Old Testament has 
a shadow or a something that's pointing to Jesus, a demonstration of what Jesus is going to be like. Uh, some have said it's like a model. So if you have a model, you know, if you like certain cars and you've got a model, what's the model do or represent? And does the model look like the real thing? Yeah, some, you can have a full-scale model, right? Uh, you collect trains and you have a full-scale model right there. Uh, what does it look like? It looks exactly like, but is it the real thing? No, because it's made out of plastic. It's uh, metal, right? And it's... Most of the time, it's a much smaller scale, but it's a model. It demonstrates what the real thing is like. And that's what the, the law, the prophets, and the writings do throughout the Old Testament. They demonstrate what the real thing is going to be like. And it uses examples and examples. And, and you often go through those and you can see, man, this is, this is like Jesus. This, is, uh, this person would be like the Jesus in the story. Uh, this would be the Savior uh, and sometimes we read a story and it's like, wow, there's three saviors in this story or something. But it's still a model. That's why it's not the exact thing. The Old Testament is still relevant to us in that. And that's what it was purpose was. That's what it was designed for. And that's what it still does today. You know, we can't say, well, we, we live under the New Testament. We really don't need the Old Testament because it just led us to the New Testament. Now it's completely gone. And we've got the New Testament and everything we need is in the New Testament. No. All Scripture. And when Paul was writing that, you know, he wasn't referring to, yeah, Peter wrote some things and all Scripture is profitable. No. He was talking about the law, the prophets, the writings and what they did. Other thoughts? Yeah, so, I mean, it had a purpose. Even the Mosaic Law had its purpose, and it was, you know, great in every, in every respect, or the words that Paul uses. He says, yeah, it was, it was great. It, was, it wasn't... Paul can't say, uh, yeah, the, the, the old law, it was, it was really good and all this, but now we can just toss it out the door and throw it away completely, and it meant nothing. It's like, because starting right here, we got this whole new thing, so forget all that. No, it had a purpose. And it, and it did its job in a lot of situations, yes. You know, the Mosaic Law, the whole law is, in my opinion, an extension of the innate moral law, right? That God has to 
how uh, much they looked to that law specifically as their savior, when really the only thing that they ever did was point out all of the flaws, all of the faults, everything that they did wrong as the purpose of the law was kind of the argument of all the time. So <laughs> it's interesting also to me to look, try to see, like, as, and I think Tommy does a really good job of being able to see the law in perspective of the overarching kind of theme. Maybe it was very hard for them because they felt like they were not the chosen people to do that. But this was God's, was meant to kind of show, to condemn, and then Jesus was meant to free. Okay. And even, even other parts of the Old Testament do the same thing. The law, the Mosaic law, was another one of those models of what this Savior is going to be. This is a, God said, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to demonstrate my glory with you. And ultimately, this is going to be, uh, you know, the, the completion of that. But it was a, uh, it was a model used by specific people. God said, I'm going to be glorified. You follow me and I'll bless you and I'll be glorified. You disobey me and I'll punish you and I'll be glorified. And either way, God is glorified. Yeah. And the Old Testament, well, it also points out all their flaws. It also shows God's faithfulness to his people. Because as you read in Genesis, you see how God kept his promises to all of the patriarchs and how he works through it. So for us, looking back on that Old Testament, shows us that faithfulness so that we can say, God was faithful then, God will be faithful now. And that's where that allegiance comes from us, is we know he's truthful and that he's going to follow through on his end um, for us if we follow on our Yeah, so it gives us that extra confidence. That's one of the many things that it, that it does, it demonstrates. Yeah. Talking about the Old Testament, what you said is true, about it's, it's written for our learning, but it's not written for our doctrine. There are people who want to mingle them and bring over Sabbath, tithing, all kinds of things. It, it's, it, it teaches us in principle. Right. And I think there may be a slight distinction in the Mosaic Law and the rest of the law. Obviously, Jesus said, I, it's fulfilled. And I think he's talking about the Mosaic Law. He's, you, know, you were given this. You followed it. It led to me. I am the fulfillment of it. Now we're not following those things exactly from the Mosaic Law. I think the principles and the things that we find in the, in the prophets and the writings are still godly principles that we still need to observe some of those principles, uh, all of those principles. I don't know the terminology or how, you know, if I'm saying that right. But God is always God. God's faithfulness, which we talked about, is always demonstrated. Uh, so that, that never changes. Yeah, when, when you look at the law, I mean, prophets and the writings, such as the Psalms and the Proverbs, what are they doing? They're not expounding on new laws that you to obey. They're pointing you where? Obey God. Follow God. Do what God says. He will bless you. There are blessings in God in what God has you to do. And then they also foretell of Satan that's coming. Right. So, those principles that are found therein are, in essence, outside of the law. They don't 
create a new law, but they tell you to obey the law you have. Right. Very good. Other thoughts? <coughs> okay. Um, so verse 23 has been just kind of a summary of what he's been saying all along. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. But there's maybe an interesting term there, the glory of God. We fall short of the glory of God. And I've always looked at that and just thought, oh, yeah, well, it's sin. That's falling short of the glory of God. Is there maybe a sense there's a little more to that than just, you know, like sin? Where else might we be short of the glory of God? Yeah, right? Representing his image. Yeah, Bob. Isaiah 43 7 says, We were made, God made us to be glorified, to glorify him. So that's our purpose, actually, in life, is the lives we live are to glorify him. So right out of God's mouth, he said that. So we fall short in sin. There's no glory there, there's reproach. So even. Even if we're not talking about the sin that we commit, are there ways that we fall short of the glory of God? And that kind of hits on that, but absolutely. Are you as wise as God? Are you as smart as God? Are you as compassionate as God? Are you as loving as God? Uh, that's God's, God's glory, those things. And we, we can't be at that same level as, as God is. So there's definitely uh, a sense in which we fall short of that glory, and I don't think he's only referring to when we, when we sin. To your point about models, uh, we were made in the image of God, but we are not. Okay, so we're more of the model of, of God, so very, very good. Jason, Bob? <coughs> yeah, we, we talked the glory of God. What was the purpose of the Jews? To show God's glory in them. If they obeyed, they would be showing God's glory to all the nations around them. And so when we sin, when we fail to follow God in the way that He has prescribed, we don't give Him glory. We don't glorify Him at all when we don't do what He tells us to do. Right. And so in that sense, uh, we fall short of the glory of God by not causing Him to be glorified. Exactly. Other thoughts on that? Okay. Being justified as a gift by the grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. So there's our word of the day, propitiation. Um, very interesting word and translation. So from what smarter people have said about it that I've read, the word actually comes from the relationship I think of people with the pagan gods. 
and they needed to change their minds so they would do what they could. They, their actions would, would try to change the pagan god. It's like, okay, my god is mad at me, so I need to, I need to do something to, to change that, uh, that thought or that action, what he's going to do. And so it was a... Uh, uh, that, that idea... I guess is where they end up using the word and translate using it as the translation uh, referring to Christ being the propitiation. But it actually goes back into the Old Testament even farther back to uh, a way that is translated in Hebrews. The exact same word is translated the mercy seat, which was what? The lid, <laughs> the lid of the ark of the covenant. And what took place there? The priest, the high priest, would go in once a year and sprinkle blood on it and do the things that were required of the law for the sins of himself and the people. So it was to kind of take care of those sins. Did that change God's mind? No, but it was actually part of the plan. I think that may be a slight distinction or difference in the way the word was used in the way that it's used in the Bible. The Bible does that. I mean, the writers use words sometimes and that aren't exactly the same in secular writings and make it a biblical word. Have you ever heard the word propitiation outside the Bible? I don't think I've, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard it in any other context. So for us, you know, that's, well, that's a, that's a Bible word. That's a religious word. And we, uh, we don't think of it any other way. Huh? Uh, first John 2 and 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. But, so him being the propitiation, he does that for us. He has gone before us to offer himself. And that's the idea behind appreciation. Yes. So, if I'm not mistaken, that is actually a different word. It's a similar form of the word, I think, but not exactly the same word as appreciation that is used here. There's two, and I'm not a, I'm not a anything scholar. I don't <laughs> pretend, to, pretend to know for sure. I think we see this demonstrated in Genesis the 32nd chapter with Jacob and Esau. So Jacob believes that Esau is wrathful towards him, has bad intentions and in verse 20, and, well around verse 20, he sends this present to him and he says uh, for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. Okay. So Jesus as Yes. Kind of that idea, too, with that mercy seat of what took place there. So Jesus is, again, going back to the model thing, Jesus is the priest and the blood and the, <laughs> you know, all those things combined in that mercy seat application. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean you're right. It's only twice. Part of the New Testament. Here in Hebrews 95. Hebrews 95 is more obvious. It is actually referring to the mercy seat. 
the argument, maybe it should change it here the same way because that's how it was there and the polls have got the same idea. And actually, Ryan's point from the Old Testament, that, that reference to David Weasel's word is also using the same word if you read the So it's the same word that was translated as? The Jacob Esau one, yes. Yes. Derivation of that word. Okay. Right. So, right. Okay. All right. So, yeah, that idea, you know, God using that in that same sense, but we, we get that. So, they use this word. I forget where, they, where that translation I read something about it. I don't remember. Somebody used that word particularly. In, stuck in the translation. I don't, know that, I don't know how that takes place. But anyway, uh, other thoughts on that. Is that. Does that help understand what he's saying here? You know, that he is the propitiation. He is the uh, one that changes the situation between us and, and God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I may need to go back a step. In verse 23 where it says all have sinned, a very, very important verse. <clears throat> Making it universally obvious that we all need Jesus. And uh, in that verse, is it talking about all Christians, both Jews and Gentiles? Or is it, is that, I've uh, used this verse to mean the entire world Okay, yeah, so you're asking if that's a, a limited or universal way to say that all have sinned. Um, I want to address, you want to address that? You got something else? Okay, I think we're talking universal is the way that I would have to see that. The gift then is given how? Universally to anyone that accepts that. So I think in the same sense, in the same way, those two would be universal. God, God provided that gift of Christ universally. Not everybody accepts that gift, but the sin was also universal. And I think that's the point here going through no matter, maybe that distinction between the law of Moses and any law, all it does is point out guilt. It points out that you need a savior. So I think that's Paul's point in these chapters is saying that's where we want to. You want to comment on that? Yeah, please. The, uh, in verse 9, what then are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we uh, have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. So that, that kind of covers it there, I think. I think that it could be more applicable to Christians and you realize, hey, we've sinned too, uh, that we're in the same category as the others. So we can take it stronger. But I think it was satisfaction is the definition of that. Yeah, that would fit for that, how it how it relates to uh, affecting our relationship. Yes, Tom. We've seen God's anger is 
That's what I was talking about in the last class a little bit. I was like, I can't even comprehend this. The one that was offended is the one that provides the, the offering that, that appeases his offense. And how does that work? Well, I don't know. So I'm not going to buy into it. No, it's like, I don't know how it works. But man, that, that is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And we'll, we'll leave it at that and accept it rather than... Say, well, I don't see how that could possibly work. I don't see any law of physics that can, that can, uh, you know, map that out for us. So it talks about this faithfulness, um, faithfulness of Jesus, and you know, I think referring to Jesus being faithful and providing and and what we've talked about some in the Old Testament, how that proves God's faithfulness in this and not, uh, I don't know that it would have to exclude our faithfulness to Jesus, but there's two ways to look at that when you see that, you know, the faith or the trust. Is it trust in Jesus or trusting, is it our trust? Or is it the faithfulness that Jesus is going to do and provide what he has said? So, I tend to lead toward the faithfulness of Jesus himself in fulfilling those things. Other thoughts, comments? So, I, and I guess just re- reiterating that, it's kind of the whole principle is this, both the faithfulness of Christ and what he did, and our trusting in God. Maybe trusting, maybe our faithfulness in his faithfulness, if you want to put it that way. All right, so he goes on, and then let's read the rest of this um, Chapter, verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? uh, Sorry, by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? He is not the God of... Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So he says, where then is boasting? So if somebody asks you that, where where do you get boasting? Well, it's from personal achievements, right? Uh, And where would you find those in the Bible? 
the Old Testament law. Look at all the personal achievements I have made, I have attained by keeping all of these laws. So where's your boasting? Well, it's in the law. But now that's excluded. So no more boasting. Was he saying, yeah, it was fine then. You could, you could boast all you want then. <laughs> no, that was never the point. But he said, now there's no room at all for boasting. Let's make it clear. There's nothing you can do to earn that salvation and that forgiveness. So faith excludes boasting. The law, what would you say, invites boasting? The law would probably want you to... Uh, not want you, the, the, would make it easy for you to say, hey, I'm doing these things, therefore I am owed forgiveness. That would be boasting. Actually, the law did everything but allow boasting. The law showed that you had no reason to boast because you had failed in at least this one item. You know, the job of the uh, you know, you failed in, in one of those. You failed the whole law. Right. And, and so uh, the law does not allow for any boasting unless you have held it completely every aspect. And the only one that's ever done that is Jesus. Right. So they obviously didn't understand that point that you're making there. Like the, you know, the, when they had the prayer of the two guys and he's praying and next to the tax collector and what is he doing he's boasting about what the law that he has kept which has done him no good in that situation it says where where is the boasting well it's excluded is it excluded by what kind of law a law of works no it that that law doesn't exclude boasting is what he's getting to, but it's by a law of faith. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And I, I think probably hardly one of us can read that passage without saying, but, <laughs> but this is but the exception. We, we are saved by faith. Right? Can I say that? Yes. Paul can say that. I'm saved by faith. Well, what does that mean? And we get all nervous, like, oh, what do you mean you're saved by faith? I can say, I'm saved by faith alone, if you understand what I mean in that. Am I saved by faith alone? Yes, because I'm sure not saved by works. Well, what, is, what does faith look like? What does faith mean? What does it mean to say I was saved by faith or trust in God? That's what he's saying here. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Well, I think what we're saying by that is a faith looks like something. And he even goes on to say, you know what? That faith looked like something even in Abraham. What did that faith look like? It looked like Abraham sitting there, oh, I believe in God, so I'm, I'm wonderful. I'm saved. That's, that's my faith. I mean, I believe it. No, but it goes on to say that that faith looks like something and it produces something in us. Um, yes. uh, when many years ago, when I was studying James, the uh, um, illustration for faith that 
we came up with was if um, if you had faith that this guy uh, could ride across um, Niagara Falls on a rope in or on a bicycle across a rope across Niagara Falls. Picture that, and this guy's there, and um, you go, okay, I sure I think he can do that. I I bet he can do that. But then if you say, okay, will you get in the basket on the front of the bicycle? That, that would be faith, right? So then if you translate that and go, okay, what if, like, you, you can look at that and go, man, I can never ride across the road in the bike. I would fall, right? It's impossible. Um, but if you get in the basket and you make it safely across, and then you jump out and say, look what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. No, you had nothing. All you did was sit in the basket and somebody else did all the work, right? Right. Somebody did something that seemed impossible. So Jesus overcame death. That seemed impossible. All we have to do is get in the basket. There's no boasting in the basket. Right. And it's just right. <laughs> exactly. There's still some things required. Did I miss the first bell or? One minute. I'm trying to get out of this, so ring the bell. So is it <laughs> one minute left in class? Is that where I'm at? Okay. <laughs> good. Good. So you understand the the thought there? I, I think we sometimes just so have such a knee jerk reaction to that. You know, we're saved by faith. Absolutely. Absolutely, we're saved by faith. I have faith in your Creator. I have faith in Jesus that he can save me, and because of that, I act in a certain, certain way. And Paul points that out a couple times in Romans, the obedience of faith. I do things because I believe in God. We brought up the uh, story of the uh, uh, tax collector and the Pharisee in their prayer, and I think that's a good example of what this is. The Pharisee was boasting himself in what he had done. And that was of the law, what he had done. Of course, he didn't mention what he had not done. The uh, tax collector, on the other hand, what did he do? He turned to God, realizing that he was lost and undone and needed God's help. That's the law of faith. Exactly. Recognizing that he could not do it on his, on his own. So the two of those are kind of the two things we're talking about. The one was like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it, therefore, I'm following the law. I'm being saved. I'm doing what you said. The other one is saying, you saved me by nothing that I have done. I couldn't do it to save myself. But because you saved me, I am not doing the things that you want me to do. I am following the one that I'm serving, that one that has the power, the one that has saved me. Thank you very much.